0: Father in heaven, thank you again for this morning. And thank you, Lord, for the trials that come our way, even with difficult sound systems. (laughs) We thank you, Jesus, that the word of God has gone. And Lord, even when our voices fail, your voice will still speak. And so, Jesus, we pray you would take us as we are and you would bless us And that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. And that you would give us a good plan for this year. And you would set us off right. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayer. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, the name of the sermon is called A Brand New Spark. A Brand New Spark. By the way, if you do need some uh, seating, we do have some seating over here. Or some up here in the front. I promise you, I don't spit over there. Okay? Um, I try to try to direct everything right down the middle. And so there is some seats up here. So, Well, I'm really excited about this morning's message because I believe that God uh, wants to set us in the right direction. 2012 has ended and now 2013 has just started. And I love the beginning of New Year's because it's a time to think about resolution. It's a time to think about what the future holds, about the potential, the things that could be accomplished by the end of 2013. Well, let me tell you something. I thought the exact same way in 2012. And I've come to the conclusion, and I learn this conclusion every time, and the conclusion is I need God more in my life than I've ever needed him before. Amen? As we're going about these end times, it's extremely important that we are growing in our walk with Jesus, and we are being prepared for the things that are coming our way, because it's not about storing things in your bunker, it's not about uh, prepping, it's about being faithful to God, because God alone will keep us safe in these times, amen? I'm so excited about 2013, because we have a lot of things planned, and do you guys remember the, the theme for this year? It is the year of the What? The year of the kingdom. That's exactly right. It's about kingdom life, kingdom focus. And it's going to be an exciting time where we talk about the kingdom of God. Because our time here on earth, and uh, God is preparing us to be citizens of that kingdom. Amen? I said it before and I'll say it again. There's going to be no foreigners in heaven. Amen? The time to be part of God's kingdom is now. The time to learn about God's kingdom is now is now god wants us to understand what kingdom life is all about in fact what's so interesting is when you study the scriptures jesus never mentioned a physical description of heaven you know that he did not mention the physical description of heaven he did not talk about the beauty of heaven now do you believe heaven is beautiful yes or no He rather talked about the behavior of heaven. Why? Why? Because Jesus understood something. That you're not going to heaven unless you're fit for heaven. Because if God was to take you into heaven just as you are and steps to Christ, backs us up, it would be like hell to you. And God doesn't want you to have eternal hellfire. Amen? Amen? And folks, this is extremely important. As we go about this year, in the year of the kingdom, we have a lot of things planned. We have in February our evangelistic series, a prophecy seminar. And if you haven't been part of our prophecy seminars, they're unlike other prophecy seminars. These are very special prophecy seminars. Now, how many people here are here today because of a prophecy seminar that we did in our church? Raise your hand. Amen. Amen. And folks, here's the exciting thing is that we want everyone involved. This is not a traditional series. It's going to be a time for you to be part of it and participate in the tabletop discussion. We also are going to be doing some special things. We're going to be having a 5K run at the end of January. Now, how many people like to run 5Ks? Okay. Now, the majority of you should be raising your hand. Okay? Here's why. As Seventh-day Adventists, we are called to be healthy. Amen? Amen? And so this is going to be an exciting time to invite the community out. Elsie Perkins has agreed to this. And I'm excited about this. Because a 5K, a lot of people come out. And we're going to be able to just connect with them and connect with our community. In addition, we're going to be talking about some of the various things that we're going to be doing with our evangelistic series. We're going to have some follow-up. We're going to try, and I talked about this, I think, two weeks ago, showing the movie Hell and Mr. Fudge. Now, that's a quite uh, an unusual title. But it's a movie that was made by Seventh-day Adventists, and it's the story of a lawyer who was actually hired to study out hellfire. And he came to the same exact conclusions as Adventists, and it's what the Bible teaches. And so I'm going to actually show you this trailer right now, okay? I'm going to show you this trailer right now, but I want you to see something real quick. Actually, it's the trailer. That's what I'm going to show you. Now, again, what's so amazing about this, this was made by Seventh-day Adventists, and it's a very interesting story. It's the story of a lawyer who was an Adventist who was hired to study out this topic and came to the exact same conclusions, exactly what the Bible teaches. Now, what's so remarkable is that right now in evangelical Christianity, there is a debate about hell, whether or not hell is eternal. And this is a very important time for Seventh-day Adventists to come in and say, Wait a second, let's show what the Bible is teaching. Because when you understand the great truth that you don't get to heaven by simply being afraid of hell, but you get to heaven because you want to be in heaven, all of a sudden your motivation for following Jesus is a million times greater. Can you say amen to that? And folks, this is going to be an exciting time. And it's important for Seventh-day Adventists to capitalize on this. And so I'm, t- I'm asking you something uh, as, as pastor of a uh, series SDA, and it's this. It's going to cost a little bit of money to rent out a hall. And uh, we're thinking about a, a possible one-day rental of the state theater where they show independent films. And uh, just to show this, to invite the entire community to come out, and then we'll do a question-and-answer session. Afterwards, we'll give them our evangelistic series flyers and some GLOW. And so this is going to be a very remarkable time. You can see this movie. I mean, it is just, it sounds like a movie you want to see, right? And so here's the thing, folks. Again, it's going to cost about 12 to $1300, I think, to rent out this place. So if you want to see this happen, folks, it's going to be very important that we're willing to contribute to this. I'm willing to contribute to this, too, just to see this happen. The idea that people may begin to know what the Bible is teaching about this subject is extremely important, like never before. So if you're interested in being part of this project, you can, uh, you know, mark a tithe envelope and just mark it Mr. Fudge. Okay? That's Rodney's idea. Mr. Fudge. And uh, by God's grace, we'll show this uh, probably a weekend before the evangelistic series. And it's going to be exciting to see different people come out and have questions about this topic. Well, I actually went on to a website that was talking about this hellfire fire topic. And I want you to see something very interesting, okay? There was a survey that was done about hell, And this is what, what, what the results were. 40% believe that God is eternally torturing people in hell even as we speak. 21% people believe it doesn't exist. believe in universalism, in other words, the idea that everyone's just going to be saved. There's going to be nobody lost. But think about that, only 10% actually believe in annihilation, that when God finally destroys the wicked, he completely blocks them out. Now when I was looking at this survey, it dawned on me that most people are unaware of what the Bible is actually teaching about this subject. And that's why it's extremely important at Seventh-day Adventist we capitalize on this like never before. This is the year of the kingdom. And the year of the kingdom requires aggressive, aggressive evangelism. Look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the what? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Now, this wasn't talking about persecution and the violent taking it by force. The Bible is describing that with John the Baptist with this great reformer, began this time of aggressive evangelism. So this is not talking about violence in the negative aspect. It's rather talking about violence as far as being aggressive in preaching the gospel. When John the Baptist showed up, he began a revolution of preachers like there has never been before. And God calls us to continue this all the way until the second coming. Can you say amen to that? And so if you're interested in being part of this... Please contribute. This is going to be an exciting event, and this is going to be time to invite people out. It's very unassuming. It's just a wonderful movie. There are different reviews about it. Very great. So why don't we get started with our message today? Everybody take your Bible, and let's go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Starting with verse 1. As we're thinking about the brand new year, there's a lot of things we can focus on. Different resolutions that we can give. But I was very impressed with this topic. Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 1. If you're all there, please say amen. Amen. Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Who's he? Yeah, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus. The Bible talks about in Luke chapter 11, there was a moment when Jesus was actually praying. And he was praying in a certain place. Watch what happens next. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. The disciples were so impressed with the prayer life of God that they said, Wait a second, Jesus, we want to know how to pray. Now, I thought about this for a uh, a little bit and I thought, why would they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray? I mean, praying is something that's natural, something that's easy, easy. The Old Testament talks about people who prayed, but why were they wanting to learn about prayer from Jesus? Now, if somebody is sick in the hospital and they're about to have surgery, am I going to go to somebody who is sick in the hospital and I'm say, can you teach me about how it means to be a healthy person. Yes or no? Yes or no. You guys don't sound confident right now. Would you go to somebody like that? No, if I wanted to learn about health, who would I go to? Yeah, I would go to like maybe a Royce Sappenfield. Where's Royce at? Royce is a bodybuilder. Or Elsie Perkins, she likes running all the time. I would go to somebody who is successful. Okay, if, if, if I was somebody who was interested in finances, wanting to learn about finances, would I go to somebody who has a $100,000 debt and say, can you teach me about finances? Why not? Yeah, because I'm gonna end up owing $100,000 pretty soon, right? If I'm interested in finances, I'm gonna probably go to somebody who runs financial peace like Chris Nelson, right? Putting him on the spot. I'm going to go to somebody who has learned some very uh, biblically successful principles about finances. In other words, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Teach us to pray, it's because they saw what in Jesus' prayer life? Success. Think about it. Anytime Jesus would pray, what would happen? It would always happen. When Jesus prayed for this, it happened. When Jesus was praying to feed the 5,000, it when Jesus was praying you know, to heal people, it would happen. So when they're wanting to understand prayer, they want to go to the individual who is successful at praying and who was most successful at praying in their life. Paul the Apostle. No, I'm kidding. It's Jesus. <laughs> Some of you guys are just like, yeah, amen. You guys just missed the point. We're, we're talking about Jesus here, okay? Think about this. And so the disciples, they see Jesus and they're so impressed by Him. And the way He would pray, they say, Wait a second, Lord, we want to know how to pray just like John taught his disciples to pray. Now what's so interesting about John the Baptist is that John the Baptist was such a great reformer in the Bible that many years later, that many of the apostles and the disciples, when they were thinking about somebody who they wanted to trace something special to, they would look back to John the Baptist At GYC, one of the preachers talked about how in the book of Acts, when they were choosing a disciple to replace Judas, they were looking for somebody who was there at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry. And so John was such a powerful figure, filled with the Holy Spirit, that they said, Look, we want to learn to pray like you do, Lord, just as we see John in his faithfulness teach the other people how to pray. We want to learn to pray. And so what Jesus begins to do, he begins to describe the divine science of prayer. And by the way, that's a direct quote of Ellen White's writings, the divine science to prayer. That prayer isn't something we're just to sloppily just accept and do. Prayer actually is a divine science. Can you say amen to that? And if there's ever a year that we need to learn how to pray as God's people, it is now. Can you say amen to that? Because this year isn't just going to be full of smooth things. With great power, with great manifestations of God's power, expect the greatest challenges from Satan. And Seventh-day Adventists are going to have to walk a thin line between extreme immorality and extreme legislation. And it's very important that Seventh-day Adventists, that Bible-believing Christians, are prayerful. Can you say amen to that? We need to learn how to navigate through this life. If there's ever a time we need to be close to Jesus, it is now. So let's find out what Jesus taught about prayer. Go back to Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 2. So he said to them, what's that next word? When. Now, did Jesus say, if you pray? What did he say? When. So what was Jesus saying about the Christian life? It's to be a life about prayer. Can you say amen to that? If you're a Christian and you don't pray, you're probably not a Christian. Amen? And so Jesus says something. He says, look, when you pray, he's implying something that Christians always ought to be praying. Well, let's find out what he says. When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us... Day by day, our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the what? Evil one. Now, you may think you know where this sermon is going. And I love when you think that, because then it gives me opportunity to try to blow you away. Okay? Now, notice this. What Jesus begins to lay out is the Lord's Prayer. Now, how many people have heard of the Lord's Prayer? Right? Sometimes we only hear the Lord's prayer at funerals. But the Lord's prayer was extremely special. This was not the first time the Lord's prayer was actually given to the disciples. The first time they heard the Lord's prayer was on the Sermon at the Mount. So what Jesus essentially does is says, Well, let me show you what I already taught you in the past. And he begins to lay out this litany of prayer requests. And so he gives the Lord prayer. And by the way, did you know Ellen White, every time she would finish her prayers, she would recite the Lord's prayer. She'd recite the Lord's Prayer. I personally made that a practice in my life about a year ago, that when I was done praying, I'd say the Lord's Prayer. And as I'm giving the Lord's Prayer, God always reminds me of different things that I forgot to pray for. But I want you to see what Jesus is. Okay? Take a good look. Our Father, where? In heaven. The first thing he wants his people to understand is that God is fatherly. Can you say amen to that? Now we learned a few Sabbaths ago when I was giving a sermon about the Father is that the Old Testament mentions God being a Father just a few times. Only in the New Testament is it mentioned over a hundred times that God is the Father. Why? Because the children of Israel, Israel had misconceptions about the character of God. Not that God was just simply a Father, but that He was stern and that He was angry at them. But Jesus is teaching His people to address God as our Father in Heaven. He's approachable. He wants to hear from you. And what is the implication? When you're calling God your father, you are also implying you're his child. And so he says to him, start off by saying, our father in heaven. Our father in heaven. God wants us to approach him as his children. He wants us to feel that we can come to him just as we are where we're at not where we're supposed to be but where we're at and this is extremely important because this is the first principle about prayer is having having the understanding that you can approach god just as you are and i love what the bible says our father in heaven hallowed be your name the next thing god wants us to understand is that god is holy also that we also need to have reverence in coming to god i'll tell you this when i used to pray my prayer would always be something like this I'd be getting so sleepy at night, and I would be like, oh God, please forgive me for all my sins and bless people. Good night. Okay, now some of you guys are laughing, but I know probably half of you are guilty of the same thing. And so what Jesus is teaching us that when we approach God, there needs to be some reverence. People throughout Scripture always came to God many times on their knees. Now, I believe there are many ways you can come to God, but specifically as God's people we would always need to be reverent before God. Can you say amen to that? The next thing is extremely important. Okay, we're going to start fast forwarding here. And you're going to see where this is leading. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The next thing Jesus gives in sort of the priorities we need to be praying about is under, or desiring the kingdom coming. In other words, what Jesus wants as a priority? Notice this. He doesn't say, first you pray, give us, our, give us today our daily bread. Nor does he pray, keep us from temptation or bless us with different things. When he's naming off the Lord's Prayer, the various things on the Lord's Prayer, he states as a priority the desire to see the kingdom come. Now let me ask you a question. In your prayer life, is God's kingdom a priority, yes or no? One amen. Praise the Lord. We're ready for the second coming of Jesus. Is the kingdom a priority in your prayer life? Well, if it's not, it should be. And as I begin to study this out, I realize something. This is Jesus, the one who, whenever he would pray, would always get answers. And the reason why is because the kingdom was a priority in his prayers. And I realized that many times my prayers were just selfish. I would just talk to God and get right down to the very things I wanted to. But Jesus began to teach a very fundamental principle. That God's kingdom, God's church needs to be a priority in our prayer life. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, Seek ye second this kingdom of God. Is that what it says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? And what? Folks, every morning the kingdom of God should have a priority in our life, the very first priority. And when you spend time with God in the morning, by the way, the Bible doesn't say Folgers awakens me morning by morning to hear as the Lord speaks. It says the Lord awakens me morning by morning, right? And so when you spend that early morning time with God and you're making the kingdom a priority, you will begin to see answers to your prayers. I begin to make it a prayer, a prayer thing in my life where I was telling God, I said, God, I want your kingdom to be a priority in my life. I want heaven to be a priority in my life. And all of a sudden, God began to impress me to pray for people in our church. I pray for different people here. Some of you guys don't even know I'm praying for you. And so God began to really lay on my heart people to pray for in the church. I'm praying for the church as priority in my life more than all the other things. I'm praying for the advancement of God's kingdom. I'm praying for his gospel to go out with greater power. I'm praying that I can be a witness to somebody that day. The kingdom has priority. Can you say amen to that? And this is extremely important. Because as I said earlier, when Jesus talked about heaven, he spent more time on the behavior of heaven or the dynamics of heaven than he actually did on the description or beauty of heaven. Because it's good to know what heaven's going to look like. But it's even better to know what heaven's gonna feel like. Can you say amen to that? And so Jesus began to teach us priority. Well, let's continue. Verse three, give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone else who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And this was the end of Jesus' sermon on prayer. He taught those disciples. Can you say amen to that about prayer? Wrong. Take a good look again. Start with verse 5. What's that first word in verse 5? And. What does the word and indicate? He's not finished. See, normally we think to ourselves, okay, when Jesus is talking about prayer, he just gives the Lord prayer. But if you notice the context, he's not finished. He says, and. It's like when people are done to hear the sermon, they're ready to walk out. And I'll say, and. They have to sit back down. And so here's Jesus, he's giving this, he gave this litany of things to pray for, and then he says, and indicating he's about to teach something very special about prayer. Well, let's find out what he's about to teach. Verse five, he said to them, which of you having a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. Notice this, Jesus gives a parable. And remember the purpose of a parable. There was two reasons. Number one, to conceal truth. And number one, to reveal. Number two, to reveal truth. To conceal truth from those who were looking to target him. And to reveal truth to those who were searching. And so Jesus begins to lay out this parable about prayer. And he says, look, imagine a man. How about a friend, he says. And this friend shows up at the middle of the night. And you know what happens at the middle of the night. You're snoring. And he says, this friend says to you, he begins to knock and he says, he says, friend, open the door. My good buddy has just come over and he's on a journey and he wants some food. I don't have food to set out. Can you help me out? Now, how many of you would do that for your good friend? Or your neighbor? If they began knocking at your door at midnight and they said, can I borrow a cup of sugar? you say, this is not the time to borrow sugar. But notice this. This is extremely important, okay? In this parable, Jesus is laying something fundamental about prayer that's oftentimes neglected. Now, in this parable, let's continue. I want you to see what happens next. Again, this is all leading towards something very powerful. Let's start with verse 7. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, let me just tell you something about inconvenience. I don't like inconvenience. Do you like inconvenience? So the rest of you guys like inconvenience, right? What if I was to say potluck was now canceled? That would be very inconvenient. You want to see mob violence? Hansel potluck. This was inconvenient. He gives this parable and this man is just sleeping. All of a sudden he gets this knock. And this this friend, it doesn't say much more. It doesn't say he was a best friend. It doesn't say he was a good friend. It's just this friend and acquaintance. In fact, I looked at the Greek, it said dear one. This dear one knocks at the door and he says, Hey, you gotta help me out. And he, he is not even getting an answer. So he starts yelling. Friend, open the door. You know, I had this very interesting experience. I became an RA at Weimar College. And, uh, you know, when I became the RA, you know what comes with being an RA? Respect. The RA has control. And sometimes too much control can lead to evil. And so as an RA, I ruled with an iron fist in the dormitory. I had people who'd carry out the wishes of the RA. But I was praying about becoming a better RA one day. I said, Lord, make me a better RA. I need to become a better RA, a resident assistant. After I was done praying, I fell asleep. Three hours later, I, get a, I have somebody who was standing over me. And they are saying, Anel, wake up. And I was trying to open my eyes, open them, and they were just squeezed shut, and I was opening and I was staring at the shadowy figure that was just looking over me. It was one of my good friends. I couldn't see him because it was dark. And what happened was somehow he left his radio on and his iron on, he was ironing clothes at midnight, and he walked outside of his room and he locked the door. He didn't have a key because the key was inside the room. And the reason why he woke me up is because he wanted me to give him the key. The problem was I didn't have a key either. So there we are at midnight. I'm waking up and I'm really annoyed, frustrated that he's, he's, I even asked him, I was like, why did you lock yourself out? And he's like, well, I walked out and then I said, why don't you just sleep here on the ground? And he said, no, but I left this on and left this on. I said, okay, we need to figure out a solution. So we walked outside and his window was high. So there we are at midnight. And what he does, my friend jumps on my shoulders. And I just imagine people driving by possibly and seeing this strange sight. And here I am, he jumped on my shoulders and he's getting into this window. And it was just, he finally just leaped up and got into the window. And it was just a very inconvenient moment. When you get, uh, you know, awakened at midnight, it's just not easy. No one wakes up with a great smile and say, thank you for waking me up. In this story, His friend comes to him at the most inconvenient time and he says, Look, I need some food. But he didn't say, I need food for myself. He said he needed food for who? His friend, specifically three loaves of bread. And then he says, my friend is on a long journey. And he has stopped here and it's extremely important that I feed him. And then Jesus says... It's not because his fr- he was friends with this guy that the guy finally opened up, it's because he was persistent. Now the reason why Jesus gave this parable is because he was trying to teach a lesson. And it was not so much a lesson that, or a parable that was trying to compare this friend inside the house to God, but rather it was a contrast. That God who desires to give, God who is open to give, will much more easily open that door for you. And so that parable was designed to teach a lesson About God's willingness, but more specifically, it was designed to teach a lesson that when we ask, we should be asking for others. That when we pray, the primary motivation for us would be to be praying for others who themselves are on a spiritual journey as well. And Jesus was trying to help his disciples understand this. Look, we're talking about Jesus, who's the most successful man at praying. When Jesus prayed, everything would happen. And here Jesus is introducing a very fundamental element to prayer. And that is, we need to be praying for others in their journey. Can you say amen to that? Now, how many of you people have prayed for somebody else on their spiritual journey today? Don't need, no need to raise your hand. It's obviously not making us look very good. So... How many of us have been, have been praying for other people? Praying that God would bless their spiritual life. How many of you pray for your children? Not that God would just help them simply to do well in school, but to grow in the knowledge and understanding of God. We don't pray for other people. We don't pray for other people. We're, we're good about praying for ourselves and our needs. But Jesus was showing something super important. It was like, look, if you want answers to your prayers, the best way you can see answers to your prayers is praying for somebody else. The Bible talks about Job when he prayed for, the, for his friends. He himself was loosed and he was blessed in a tremendous way. The Bible says, he who waters others will himself be watered. What needs to become more and more the prayer life of God's people is prayer for those who are not saved. Can you say amen to that? There was a man who would always pray, he was one of the reformers, and he would always pray, God, give me Scotland or I die. Was it Scotland or Ireland? Might have been Scotland. And his prayer was more and more, it became very intense to pray for the salvation of other people. I've been praying for my family for many years, and I have sensed my prayers getting more intense because I believe God's about to do something. God wants us to pray for other people. As this evangelistic series is going to be starting in a month, we hope and pray that God's people will be in an atmosphere of focus of prayer. Can you say amen to that? Folks, it ought to be your joy and desire as soon as you step into this church to find somebody in this church who you can pray for. Somebody who you can lift up before God and intercede. One day Ellen White came across this woman, and this woman was sick And this woman was just dying and she had a lot of problems. And Ellen White was talking to her with some of the other pioneers. And the woman said, I just don't have faith. I just don't have faith. And Ellen White was saying, you need to have faith now. And she's like, I don't have faith. And Ellen White said something so remarkable. She said, then we will have faith for you. God calls us to step into the gap for those who will not pray for themselves. Now let me ask you a question. For the unsaved people in your life, wouldn't you want other people praying for that person? I would. I want other people reaching out to my unsaved family. I want other people praying for my unsaved family. I want as many people who can do it to pray. And we as a church family need to understand the reason why Jesus had so much power and success is because his prayers were never self-focused, they were other-focused. Over and over again, this was part of the prayer life of Jesus, the prayer experience of Jesus. So here's Jesus. He talks about the things you can pray for, or how to pray. And then the next thing he says is why you should be praying. But let's see what happens next. Verse 9. So, what does the word so indicate? You're about to hear a conclusion. In other words, Jesus is not done with his sermon about prayer. You can imagine the disciples might have gone and be saying, so... I have one more thing to share with you about prayer. You see, the Lord's Prayer is not just about those few verses that talk about the things to pray for, but it's this very parable about prayer. And then he says something else. All this is encapsulating what the Lord's Prayer was, what divine science in prayer is all about. Let's keep going. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. Verse 11, if a son asks bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Can you imagine a father giving his son stone? He's biting and the kid's breaking his teeth. Okay, let's keep going. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a, a fish? So if the son gets a serpent, the serpent's probably biting him. And over and over again, Jesus is trying to reiterate a certain point. Let's keep going. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give, and the word evil, by the way, is translated hurtful. If you know you being hurtful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Jesus drops right down to the most important aspect of prayer. And you know what it is? For the Holy Spirit. The disciples wanted to know, how can we have that powerful prayer experience? And Jesus drops down right at the very end and he says, Look, you need to be praying for the Holy Spirit of God. And drops right down to it. And by the way, the next time you see the disciples praying together, you know what they're praying for? The Holy Spirit. And now you have the book of Acts and the revolution that began. Jesus was teaching his disciples the divine science of prayer, and that is to ultimately, to come right down to it, the prayer for the Holy Spirit. I love what Ellen White says right here. I apologize for the micro-pint. Christ, the great teacher, had an infinite variety of subjects from which he to choose, but the one which he dwelt most largely was the endowment of the Holy Spirit in describing to the disciples the office work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about something very special. Excuse me, let me read that one more time. Christ the great teacher had an infinite variety of subjects from which to choose. But the one which he dwelt most largely was the endowment of the Holy Spirit in describing to his disciples the office work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sought to inspire them with the joy and hope that inspired his own heart. Now just think about that. When you read the book of John, remember when I talked about the book of John? The book of John... Two-thirds of it is actually, or half of it, excuse me, is about the last six months of Christ's life. One-third of it is actually about the closing scenes of Christ's life. So we know where John's focus was. But when you read the half, the second half of the book of John, you know what Jesus is reiterating over and over again? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit over and over again. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus wanted to talk about something, you know what he talked about? The Holy Spirit. This was what was on his heart and his mind. When he got into a conversation of, with Jesus, he would bring up the Holy Spirit. Over and over again. This was one topic he brought up over again. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, watch what else he said. He rejoiced because of the abundant help he had provided for his church. The Holy Spirit was the highest of all gifts that he could solicit from his Father for the exaltation of his people. The Spirit was to be given as a regenerating agent. And without this, the sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. The power of evil had been strengthening for centuries, and the submission of men to this satanic captivity was amazing. Now just think about This was 2,000 years ago. How much further have we dropped down? Way further. And if there's ever a time we need to be praying for the Holy Spirit to revive our hearts, to spark in us a great fire, it is now. Let's keep going. The power of this evil had been strengthening for centuries and the submission of men to this satanic captivity was amazing. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead who would come with no modified energy but in the fullness of divine power. Can you say amen to that? It is by the spirit that the heart is made pure. Now I gave this analogy not too long ago. I wanna give it again because I think it's extremely important to understand. I one day was driving a vehicle as I was driving this vehicle the car stopped. I called my friend up and I said, friend, can you help me with this? And he says, check this, check this, check that. I checked everything, checked the battery cables, checked all sorts of things. And finally he said to me, have you checked the gas gauge? Now you know where this story is going. And sure enough, I looked at the gas gauge, I glanced at it. it, seemed to be okay. Then I said, I told my friend, hey, I'll try to figure this out, hung up on him. Then I actually took a good look at the gas gauge and I realized, The car was completely empty. I ran out of gas. Now you think that's a funny story, don't you? You want to know what's more funny? Christians who try to be Christians without the Holy Spirit. In fact, you want to know what's more stupid than that story? Christians who try to attempt Christianity without the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, Jesus was trying to emphasize this. Look, you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And over again, he was trying to sink this point in over and over and over and over again. And the disciples, thick-headed, could not get it. And it was finally until they were converted that they began to pray and plead for the Holy Spirit and saw less and less of themselves. And more and more, God was exalted and the Holy Spirit had a clear pathway. Let's keep going. Through the Spirit, the believer becomes a partaker of the divine nature. Christ has given His Spirit as a divine power to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil and to impress His own character upon His church. When He, the Spirit of Truth, will come, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. The preaching of the Word will be of no avail without the continual presence and aid of the Holy Spirit. This is the only effectual teacher of divine truth. Only when the truth is accompanied to the heart by the Spirit will it quicken the conscience or transform the life. One might be able to present the letter of the Word of God. They might be familiar with all its commands and promises. But unless the Holy Spirit sets home the truth, no souls will fall on advantages on the rock and be broken. No amount of education, no advantages, however great can make one a channel of light without the cooperation of the Spirit of God. Simply put, you can't do anything without the Spirit of God. No matter how well you've been educated, even if you've gone through four years of, of a graduate level school, or two years, and then you go on to your PhD, God is simply saying, look, that's good, but that's not gonna help you if my spirit's not part of this. You know, when I was doing this GYC seminar, I knew I was not going to be speaking just before university students when I was doing this seminar. I had in my class, I had Dr. Hossel, who was head of archeology span of Southern, who showed up. I think I had Esther Knott, who was the associate professor and pastor, At Dwight Nelson's church, I had PhD students who were working on their theology degrees who were coming out to the seminar. And I realized something as I was giving the seminar. I said, Lord, I'm obviously out of my league here. I need the Holy Spirit. No amount of education I have, no amount of talents that I've honed, no matter how great my speaking ability is or how creativity or unusual my mind is, I needed the Holy Spirit. And I began to pray, and I said, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit like never before. This is more than I can handle. And I began to pray and plead, and God blessed those seminars. It was all glory to God. Can you say amen to that? Our work in reaching out to people is not dependent on your ability to be nice or your ability to be able to speak eloquently or or what you know about the Bible. Folks, we need the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? As we're setting up this brand new year, as there is aggressive warfare before us, it is high time like never before to pray for the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? I'm going to continue. One might be able to present the, I think I was past that part. Let me look at this. Okay, here we go. No amount of education, no advantages, however great, can make one a channel of light without the cooperation of the Spirit of God. This promised blessing, claimed by faith, brings all other blessings in its train. It is given according to the riches of the grace of Christ, and He is ready to supply every soul according to capacity to receive. If you have a capacity to to receive, greater will be the amount that is poured out to you. If your heart is yearning for the Holy Spirit, God will do incredible things. Folks, here's the thing. God does does not want weak Christianity. It is his desire to have powerful Christianity take place. Can you say amen to that? This is a brand new year. A brand new year that is unmarked before us. God wants to do powerful things this year. But he's also letting you know right off the very back that without this qualifier, without the Holy Spirit, it's just going to be another year. But if we as a church family begin to come right down to the very core of what Jesus was saying about prayer, that God is willing to give His Spirit. We will come to the end of the year if Jesus hasn't come back yet, and we will praise God for the work that He did. Where the Spirit of God is a litter matter, little matter talked about, there will be seen spiritual death, declension, and decline. God calls us to pray for the Holy Spirit. How many people want to be praying? Say, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit. I want to make this year a year of praying for the Holy Spirit. I want you to raise your hand. If that's your desire, God will pour out a Spirit. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. Dot audioverse.org